The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and the disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. There are many ways to meet your ideal spouse. That is, if you ever find one. Sometimes it's love at first sight, or the mystical matchmaking of an algorithm. I have performed weddings of folks who met on OkCupid, Match.com, and Tinder. But here's one of my very favorite stories about someone finding their ideal spouse. Someone I know, let's call him Kurt, decides to use a method from a self-help book, a book recommended by Oprah Winfrey called The Secret. It's about the law of attraction. You put out to the universe your desires, and whoo, they come right back to you big time. So Kurt makes a list of the 25 qualities or characteristics of the ideal spouse and puts it out there, so to speak. Now, shall I mention my skepticism? Best not. Because on a first date, Kurt's list of 25 comes up in a conversation about 10 p.m. as I remember. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> the other guy, let's call him Marco. <laughs> let's call him Marco. Playfully and curiously asks to see the list. One by one, he checks them off in his mind and goes, yep, yep, yep. On one, he gives himself a half a check. But generally, Marco feels optimistic. Fast forward, several years later, they get married. Hmm, what shall we make of that? Our reading from Proverbs today is a list of qualities that make up the ideal, or the capable, or the competent wife. There are some things that have traditionally been thought of as women's work, 
like providing food for the household. But then there are these qualities, strength, dignity, wisdom, trustworthiness. One commentator suggests the overall ideal wife poem that concludes Proverbs reinforces patriarchal stereotypes. The woman attends to the household while the man attends to matters of the intellect, such as serving in government. This writer proposed that the preacher not even touch this text. But of course, I disregarded that advice. <laughs> Other scholars point out that the poem ex ascribes exceptional power and authority to this woman. She is a capable merchant. She is a businesswoman. I was surprised to learn that this very poem is read by some Jewish men to their wives at the Shabbat table. It's been used in Christian sermons on Mother's Day or funerals or weddings of remarkable women. Before the service, I asked someone if they had ever, if they knew this poem, and she said that she has it on her wedding ring. Now, surely not the whole poem, maybe just a line or so. <laughs> now, I'll have to say, until we had this alternate track lectionary this Sunday, I didn't even know it was in the Bible. And will some scholars and women question whether the ideals in this poem are even possible? Others wonder if it's about lady wisdom, the topic of last Sunday's sermon. Either way, it's a riddle. Is it about the ideal spouse? Is it about wisdom? Is it about God? Hmm, maybe all of these things. But let's move past the ideal beloved and consider the virtues you want on a list of your ideal friend, or parent, or boss, or pastor, or physician, or elected official, or news reporter. What would be on those lists? The writer James starts out with the negative. Envy and selfish ambition lead to disorder and wickedness. And then he gives his vision of the ideal religious person. Someone who's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. Lovely, but who could live up to that? Would greatness be on your list of the ideal human being? A generation ago, Muhammad Ali boasted that he was the greatest. And the best known and the most controversial slogan of the 2016 election, make America great again. Jesus' disciples get called on the carpet for arguing about who is the greatest. Here we go again. Everything's a competition. Then and now, how childish we can be, even as adults. We've heard that phrase, are there any adults in the room? It's a helpless, a vulnerable, powerless child that Jesus uses as an object lesson, like a children's sermon for greatness. And as always, Jesus 
flips the equation to include those without status in the world. For many, Holy Trinity's welcome statement is one of the greatest things about this church. As we continue to plan for a capital campaign, hospitality is a guiding principle, providing space for children to grow and learn in faith, enabling persons with mobility challenge to access our second floor, being sensitive to persons with various health challenges so that they can attend a service, wedding, or funeral on a very hot day with air conditioning here. We always come back to the mission of hospitality, or as we soon will sing, for everyone born, a place at the table. Clearly, greatness is found in humility. But whether for countries, for our country or others, or for individuals, most of us can always make a list of successes, virtues, and failures. Last Sunday, I read of a new history of the United States called These Truths, released just this last week. In this book, the brilliance of our country's bold experiment is held in tandem with the displacement of Native Americans and the tragic legacy of slavery. The stories of the great, well-known figures are balanced with the experiences of previously marginalized people, women, African Americans, Native Americans, sexual minorities. Someone once said that if you want to learn about humanity's failures, begin reading the newspaper on the first page. If you want to know about humanity's successes, read from the last page, the obituaries. Writer David Brooks makes a similar distinction between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Our culture and our schooling emphasize these resume values. They are what drive economic success and media fame, the usual definition of greatness. The eulogy virtues are the ones talked about at your funeral. Were you kind, brave, honest, faithful? Did you use your talents and gifts wisely for the sake of the world? <laughs> so whether the ideal spouse or the ideal Christian, or the ideal citizen, most of us mess up. We're motivated by self-interest. In addition to our virtues, those who know us best could probably make a list of our shortcomings, our irritable habits, whether it's the way we load the dishwasher or interrupt someone in the middle of a sentence. when we can't live up to the ideals or even the path to greatness outlined by Jesus, God embraces us with divine virtues of mercy and forgiveness. At this welcome table, there is a place for everyone. Each person is great. Each person is great simply because they are God's beloved child.